Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Game Dev Unchained, the number one game development podcast about game development and the lifestyle thereof. I am your host, Brandon Pham, and with me, a special guest, Nick Sievert. Hello. All right. Nice to be on the podcast. All right. Uh, so this is the part where I allow our guest, which is yourself, to introduce yourself to the listeners and viewers out there of who you are, where you've been, where you're heading. Just a little intro before we get into it. Yeah, so I'm Nick Sievert. I'm the founder of Jenga FX. And back in 2016, I founded the company. And what we do is we make uh, real-time visual effects tools uh, for FX artists and games. Uh, and now we're actually trying to get into the environment art side as well. And so that's one thing that uh, that we're working on. And so, But I've been doing games uh, since I was like a, probably 10 or 11 Back in 2006, uh, when I found out about uh, Source SDK for uh, modding Half-Life 2, that was on a number of really popular mods, um, you know, such as Infra, which actually turned into a game, and then um, Spherical Testing, uh, No More Room in Hell, and uh, a number of other uh, interesting games. And then I worked professionally uh, at Funcom for a few years uh, while I was building Jenga FX, and um, I just saw a big problem, a big gap that, you know, there weren't tools made for people in games is we typically use film tools and we bend it to fit the game pipeline. I didn't necessarily think that that was the right way to do things. And so that's why I'm here. Ah, perfect, man. Uh, there's definitely a, a good annotation there. I think like it's kind of getting a, a coming back where the early 2000s, definitely before the 2000s, there was a strong source modding community. I, too, got first interested in, in modding Counter-Strike, just simple things, replacing the sound, you know, messing around with textures, putting my face, my friend's face <laughs> onto the characters. Uh, and yeah, later discovering it's an actual thing and then getting really interested in it. Have you always been from the get-go visual effects or did you get into the field first doing something else? Yeah. So originally it was, I guess, level design or really just jack of all trades. I think that's one thing that's, you know, unfortunately missing these days from yeah. skills, you know, across artists and stuff like that. But, you know, it's because when you're making your own mod, you kind of have to do everything. And so, um, you know, I really started truly like in level design, I guess, using hammer. And then one day, like I had this 
scene in my mind where a car, you know, would hit a building or whatever. I wanted the car to blow up. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, how do I do that? And yes, do. so at the time, you know, all we had was like, there was like this like smoke puff emitter thing inside of hammer. That was all you could do is just replace the texture on that. And so I tried that. And then maybe like a year or two later, uh, they actually released the source particle editor. And then from there I said, oh man, like possibilities are endless uh, for visual effects. And then I just really got roped into that. And then before you know it, you know, everybody's saying like, Hey, Nick is one of the only few people who know the source particle editor, get him on your mod. And so like, there was a lot of failed mods that I worked for that just, you know, never even came to fruition, but it was, it was really fun. And that's kind of where, how I got my start into visual effects where I just wanted to blow stuff up in my game or make custom explosions for the SMG grenade launcher in half-life or whatever. And uh, once the particle tool came out, I mean, that was really kind of, my thing i was like man this is so much more fun than level design or whatever and so it was really where i i wanted to be i guess yeah it's definitely a um a thing that i i see a lot with with your group <laughs> the you know the people who get into visual effects usually find it through other means like from other disciplines maybe nowadays it's kind of changing where we have graduates coming out of school getting to effects but it's still very niche right there's not like a large group of students that go into effects uh it's still the i would feel like uh, along with technical artists one of the most sought after uh void uh, in terms of game industry jobs, uh, it's just, I think it naturally, anything that becomes more and more technical becomes less popular, but like also, also very important, <laughs> uh, to find, um, in, in, in today's kind of climate, right? There's a couple of things in, you know, Django effects is definitely something that, you know, me and my team, a bunch of my friends have been looking at as like, there's definitely a void still in, in, in the tool set. Um, just talking about software overall, right? There's like this uh, movement towards lean and mean, even with larger companies, like we're seeing like this massive layoffs going on all over the place. Right. Uh, and uh one of the reasons being is like it feels like a reset re re examining how you know in terms of headcount and how to leverage how powerful tools have gotten uh at the same time there's this industry with the software where i feel like there's a lot of things that unity and unreal have done really well right but there's also this mentality with uh consumers where we're kind of teaching them that great things come for free or you know no one wants to pay for like these great tools that are enabling basically the whole gaming pipeline i'm wondering if you have any uh firsthand experience your your opinion on what this space is because i'm i'm in the proponent of like people are spending a lot of time making these great tools that are obviously working and making your game great and we need to switch this mentality of like yo yeah pay the freaking subscription (laughs) yeah because it's worth it yeah so i would love to hear more about that yeah exactly i I think that you know having the right tools really i guess elevates the potential 
you know, to create a great game and then also do it in a timely manner. Cause you know, unfortunately, you know, even if you're an indie dev, you typically have a pretty limited runway in, you know, how much money you've saved or, you know, how many sales one of your other first games or whatever is making and you're trying to, you know, typically make it big. I think that that's probably, you know, what most indie people hope for at least, um, you know, and so, or at least to have a life where they're, you know, able to just sustain themselves from the sales of their game. Cause ultimately you're creating a product. And so if you want to create a good product, you know, you typically need a pretty good tool set to do that as well. And so it's like at Jenga FX, you know, we end up building our own internal tool sets that mm-hmm. so that those are really good. And then we can build better tools on top of that and then distribute those out to, you know, game developers. And so I really think that, you know, having tools is, is essential, but at the same time, you know, I think that being a scrappy studio, uh, kind of like us, I mean, we are a scrappy software company. We bootstrapped everything and we pretty much live off of our sales. And so I think that, you know, coming from that mentality, we apply that to the tools. And I think that game studios that are going to succeed, they're more likely to succeed if they are scrappy. And then the scrappy ones eventually grow up to be, you know, the riots and the blizzards and all this other stuff. Right. And they slowly turn more and more corporate and so on and so forth. And you have HR departments and whatever. The plus side of that is like, you get like benefits and mental health support. And like, you know, if you do get laid off, you get say six months severance and all that kind of stuff. And like, there's that kind of good thing. But if you're still a small studio and then you have to lay off your people and that really sucks and it hurts and it's a lot more personal. Um, and then you typically probably can't afford to provide, you know, those types of services to them because you've probably bled enough money where you just don't have any more. Right. And so it really is a double edged sword between being scrappy and huge. There's benefits to being huge as a company. There's benefits to being scrappy. If you're scrappy, you don't have a board typically. Right. Which means you can do whatever you want. You can be as crazy as you want with your game or as like little detail or as much detail or whatever. Right. There's just so many things that you can do with your game. And so I don't particularly know if that answers the question, but that's like some of my generalized thoughts around uh, the topic, at least. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a big shift in uh, re-examining what makes a successful game nowadays, right? Uh, I, I definitely see the early 2000s, the giving birth, well, before even 2000s, you know, giving the opportunity for Blizzard to grow, to Riot to grow. And then there's this like dead period of like, well, we have the super corporation companies and then the small indie companies. Uh, And it's been kind of like that for a while. And now people are starting to remember, oh yeah, you know, this is is how Riot started. You know, Uh, we're looking at games like Power Worlds, even with this controversy, which I think honestly, it's fine, right? And if we look at the last month, Right. There has been some mega indie hits made by scrappy teens. You know, Pal Worlds, Lethal Company. There's a third one that's slipping my mind. But it, it felt like within the last month, just back to back games that are made by very small teams, surprising everyone. Right. Um, that's changing or at least reiterating the narrative that. You know, small and nimble is exactly what we need right now. Uh, this reset is attributed to a lot of the 
bloatiness. I think a lot of these game companies have been enjoying taking advantage of uh, overestimating, you know, the past couple of years since COVID, especially, right? Um, But there is a definitely an effect that's happening um, that I would love to kind of hear you more uh, commenting on because you, you, you went from, in a lot of ways, right? an enthusiast to a professional, a lot of how game developers are, but that major jump to creating a software, uh, not a game software, but a tool software. So I would love to kind of hear maybe starting from there, like how did you make that leap? Because that is a major, that's a road less traveled by most game developers. If you're an athlete, you know, the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I think that, you know, for whatever reason, you know, as a kid, I I always liked building things. I think that anybody who's in games, you know, they probably played with Legos when they were a kid or, you know, Mega Blocks or whatever. Right. You know, and I had like little robotic sets and all this kind of stuff. And so I was always, you know, a very tinkery type person. And then I found out like my type of tinkering that I like is games because, you know, uh, my dad, he liked making maps for Unreal Tournament and stuff like that. And then my brothers, they did that too. And then I was the only one who really stuck with it. Once they showed me that tool, you know, I, so I grew up, you know, being, say, six years old and like seeing my dad and my brothers, you know, make Unreal Tournament maps. And I was just like, that's so cool. Like, how can I grow up to do that? And they never stuck with it, like I said, but I did. And I was like, man, I am addicted to this thing, you know? And so like, I'd go outside into the world and I would just see like all these trees and mountains and or like our own house. And I'd say, how can I make that in my game? Because I want to shoot zombies in my house. Right. And so I'd make these like maps of it or like whatever it happened to be or burn my house down or whatever, but like all digitally. Right. And it was really cool. And so, but to, to make the jump, you know, I really just had to get angry enough. You know, I I don't often say it, but, you know, Jenga effects was really built purely from anger mm-hmm. um, because I saw that at the time, which was naive, that, say, Source Engine could do like 10,000 particles because uh, at the time there was no GPU particles. It was just yeah. CPU. And so it was like 10,000 particles and you could do like these little attractor forces and stuff. I was like, if that's real time, why can't I do a full 3D explosion mm-hmm. in real time? Very naive thinking, right? And I'm like, and the reason you can't do it is because this is on the CPU. But if we could just do it on the GPU, that would solve everything. That would solve all of our problems. And I'd look around and, you know, not many people in video was doing some research and stuff like that. And I said, man, I said, there's got to be a better way. And I'm like, 
the problem with these tools that there are is people just don't have the heart to put into it. I am the end user. They're not. I'm the end user. And so I'm going to build tools that I would want to use, ones that don't crash, ones that don't suck, one where the UI is fantastic, right? That kind of stuff, like invest in the things that actually matter. And so, but to actually get from game developers to software was full of treacherous bridges and like failed starts on this stuff. Cause I'm typically not a software developer. I developed the first version of a tool that we had called uh, vector region. Basically what it did is it created these things called vector fields and those could interact with the GPU particles, typically in unreal. We eventually released a unity plugin for that, but basically it's like, say you need like a leaf to fall in like a nice pattern. Mm-hmm you could export a vector field that was static and kind of like move it around in unreal. And, you know, it would look kind of like wind or you could do a number of things to have like a global vector field and stuff like that on your world to just kind of blow things around. And so that was kind of the first tool. And I was like, well, you know, it takes say, I don't know, like a, a flip an hour to do it in Maya or something. Cause you have to do an actual fluid simulation and then strip out the velocity field and do this thing. And like all this, and like, it was just a terrible terrible sequence. Uh, and so we made vector agent and like, that was my first thing. And then I quickly found out I needed a technical co-founder, uh, which my co-founder's name is Morton and he lives in Norway. And I met him on discord, but just randomly pinging him and said, Hey, I want to do this thing. And like, I've been trying to do it for, you know, over a year and I I'm just not a graphics programmer. I'm more of an artist, but like, I'm also very keen on the business side and I had been a CTO at a different like actual entrepreneurial startup. So I had left games for a few years to go learn business that stuff because I, I ultimately knew that I wanted to do Jenga FX. Right. And like I had the idea since 2012. And so at this point, like 12 years ago, and so I just I didn't know how to do it. And so. I had to like learn, you know, some business things and how to build a team and like work at different companies to figure out what, if I build a company, what should I not do? Cause I had plenty of jobs where I was treated like crap in like manufacturing at a factory. I used to work at McDonald's, you know, um, and a number of other places where I'm just like, man, like I get treated like crap and I'm stomped on. And so how can I provide an environment that people would actually want to work for? And then how can we pay people good? And there's just like all these big challenges that we had to face. And then also I had no money, right? So I maxed out my credit card. And then when my credit card was finally maxed out, I'm like, well, shit, I have to go get a job. And that's whenever I went from like hobbyist modding person to professional, I put together a portfolio, you know, uh, Tried to put as best of a demo reel as I could and ended up getting a job at Funcom. And then I was like, really, the only effects artist there, at least in the North Carolina studio, uh, you know, for a few years. And I told them, I said, hey, you know, just a caveat. I'm like, I know visual effects artists are hard to come by. And when I'm there, I'm going to do the absolute best, best visual effects that I can possibly put out. I said, but I am going to leave eventually because my goal was to change tooling in the industry. But if Funcom can give me a paycheck, I can give you visual effects. And then at the end of it, I'll leave and then be able to do tools. And I was very surprised that they said yes. Right. Cause most students probably be like, eh, we'll find someone else. But for whatever reason, they're like, Hey, like we like your stuff. Like, you're free to do that. And so they let me work on my own thing. And it was really quite nice to to see that. Um, and so honestly, I don't think Django FX would be here without, you know, Funcom's, uh, I, I would say third party assistance because I did my mm-hmm. work and they paid me. 
but they let me, you know, keep going. And so, you know, and so just from there, I got to learn, you know, more things at Funcom about like how to manage teams and like what the processes are and like really see game development from the inside. So whenever I had a new prototype for my tool, I'd, you know, bring it in, you know, or whatever, or download it from our discord and then use it on the production of our game. Right. And I was like, man, like, okay, this is just kind of getting cool. This is, you know, whatever. And eventually I quit my job. And then from there, we were able to actually start hiring a few more people. And we got like a contract with Epic Games to work on uh, Niagara for, you know, a year or so. And that helped me pay me and Morton. And, um, you know, just from there, we said, hey, we need to sell Embergen with whatever we have. And then, you know, from there, it was just sales and sales and sales. And now we've grown to a team of, I don't know, I think with both temporary contractors and full-time employees were at like 28 right this second. Oh, wow. Um, and so it's, it's pretty crazy and we've never taken investor money and it's just something where I'm like, Hey, like I want to do this. And this is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Mm-hmm. And I had many, many people, you know, naysay, I guess about what I was trying to do because that was their thing. They were like, Hey, well, Nick, you're an effects artist or like X level designer turned effects artist you're not a software guy. Like tooling is really, really hard. Like the reason why most tools and games suck is because it's hard. Right. And like, that's why everything crashes and all this other stuff. Like you're not the person to fix it. I'm like, I think you're wrong Mm -hmm. because I have something they don't. I have the dedication and the heart and the drive to go out and fix this problem because I actually care about the end user and I care about their experience where I feel like most other companies who are making tools, they typically don't. And then you see what they do is they come in and they, you know, have like, ah, I use these coins for credits or like have this, you know, $500 a month subscription or like whatever, like just stuff that indie people can't afford. Right. And so just things that just make me mad. Right. And then I become, you know, uh, enemy number one <laughs> of, yeah. of these companies, right? Because, or at least I like to think I'm enemy number one so that I work harder and like try and change the industry. But it's just one of those things where like, that's kind of like the long-winded story, but even short at the same time of like how all this stuff came to be. And I remember, you know, I went to to GDC in 2019 and I had a cracked iPad and I wanted to show like an alpha version of Embergen. And most people I talked to, they said, I don't see the point. The quality is not good enough. And the reason why there aren't real-time tools is because it's just not possible. You know, you're going to give up in a year and then you're going to be back to work, you know, at, at a game studio. And I'm like, mm, I don't think so. I'm like, you're wrong and I'm right. <laughs> and I'm going to prove it. And then at, luckily, you know, through, you know, whatever blessings I have or whatever it happens to be or my team, you know, we were able to actually make a product that's really good and then start getting sales and then have studios who are like, Hey, this is actually pretty good. And then, you know, a number of other things and it just kind of cascades. And then we're like, Hey, like what else can we change? You know? And so now we have Geogen, Liquigen's coming out next month and a number of other things. And so, you know, I think that it's like, I try to be humble as best as I can, you know, and at the same time, like the state of things really makes me mad. And so then I get, uh, what would you call it? Uh, very dynamic or, um, there's a word I'm motivated. Yeah. To just, (laughs) to just change it because 
you know, I'm a very naive person in, in a lot of ways, but I think that that naivety allows us to innovate where other people are just like, ah, it's not possible or, well, it's going to take too much money or whatever. It's like, yeah, you know, to build Embergen, it has cost millions and millions of dollars, but we made all that money with sales and then we direct it right back into the company to hire more people. Right. And so it's just one of those things where, you know, there was a time, you know, say kind of on the, during the hard part of COVID where, you know, we were taking, say, distributions in the company for, you know, me and some of the original uh, people. And I was like, you know what, like, we're, we're going to stop doing dividend distributions and we're going to reinvest back into the company. Mm-hmm. And it's like things that we do are, you know, um, we have like uh, a minimum salary of 80000 where it does not matter what your job is. Yeah. That's the minimum you're going to make. And then after two years, you make a hundred, right? And so even if your customers support, even if you're, you know, uh, help with marketing or you help with this or you help with that, doesn't matter. We're all transparent and, and mostly equal in that regard. And so like, that's just kind of like the steps towards like the type of company I want to build. We don't have, you know, the resources to have, you know, you know, like free therapy and, you know, all this other stuff. Like I wish we could, but you know, we'll get there one day, you know, if we're successful and then with our company success, we're going to put that back towards our employees first. And then our customers will reap the benefit of a good product, right? Because we're taking care of ourselves. And so I think that's kind of, I think that sums up kind of how I've, I've done all this, but yeah, happy to answer any specific targeted questions around that. Yeah. I mean, it was a lot. No, no, it's fantastic hearing. I mean, there's a lot of correlation that I'm hearing the, the frustration, the success, the, the wins, the losses. Like I um, personally started a co-development company like for seven years now. Uh, and recently we're shifting into finally making our own IP. And a lot of what you're saying is like, you know, having the, the interest to create a company, a lot of it is something that people don't really talk about. It's the people <laughs> and managing it's to me that's the headache like the fun part is making the 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 creativity but you know it also can be fun to kind of rally and behind something as a team when when the wheels are turning and all the parts are moving and functioning you you can find a lot of joy into like i did this with our team like we made this happen right a lot of what you're saying to what i've discovered there's a lot of people that uh, subconsciously, I mean, I don't think it's ma- out of malice, right? That always want to shoot down your ambition and dreams. And a lot of that comes, I think, from their own personal reasons, right? Not to you, like they're talking to, but to, about themselves, right? It For whatever reason, seeing someone else, especially if you were comrades right colleagues that's the part that's the one i feel the most if you're if this guy was sitting next to me in the same position and he's going on to have some success or at least dream of bigger things it somehow makes me feel poorly about myself all right on my own and so a lot of that i've discovered over the years is like their frustration projecting onto you saying oh you can't do it's too hard right i will say this as an end user i saw image and i was i think any artist is kind of like secretly want to be an effects artist right we all want to kind of make things move and blow up right but like 
for me personally, I come from an environment art background. I looked at the tools like I'm not learning this. <laughs> it's, it's not, it sounds like torture trying to make things work. Um, you know, I've been mostly Unreal. Even Unreal is friendlier than other engine, but I've worked on Unity preparatory engine and you know it just gets worse and worse right but like i've always kind of been like praying that this will get better somewhat <laughs> maybe nick one day will fix this but like embergen is so uh as an end user you're describing basically me as like wow this is so approachable here's making fun things cool things in a, a fun way right it doesn't feel exactly. like torture and it it speaks to me as soon as i saw one of you guys' uh, demo spotlight. I was like, yes, finally, right? Which is, you know, I've, I've heard you guys, I think, probably the last four years, like four or five years, I was like, oh, all right, got to bookmark this. I know this is going to be it, right? And the funny enough, right, all these naysayers saying that, you know, people, it's hard. That's why no one's doing it. You're, st I still consider you guys the only ones doing it, right? Uh you, we got Houdini on the side, but I feel like Houdini is like, you know, no hate, but like they have great procedural stuff for environment stuff that I am still reluctant to learn because it feels like I'm going to a jungle trying to, it's their tool is just too crazy, right? It's like, what are you guys doing over there? You know, so a lot of the tools and software are, that seem effective are, are kind of going the other route of making it basically unusable. Like it's somehow purposeful. Like they want it to stay within this like niche group of know-hows and somehow that empowers it. Like, I don't know. It's weird, right? Because I feel like by now they should have enough resources to kind of make it user-friendly, but they're not. They're, every update I see is like, oh, okay, it's harder now, <laughs> right? So the yes. things that I love what, what you guys you do know, at Django Effects is like, yes, it's easier. Uh, and I can't wait. Like that's the thing with what you guys are doing. I can't wait to use this, right? Um, Another thing I, I do want to ask you, like the building the company is actually something that's sort of trending. Right? LinkedIn is, you know, I think everybody's checking LinkedIn more than ever the past six months, right? I checking just to get a pulse on things. It's getting actually pretty sad now. So I'm kind of taking some time off from that. But like what creeps into these comments is that people are encouraging each other to just start an indie company. I was like, oh, hold on. Don't do that. <laughs> it's like you have no idea. Uh, I would love to kind of hear your, I mean, I kind of can, can feel through your story, what your opinion is, but I would love to kind of hear it to those that are kind of, uh, what do you say on impulse, you know, jumping to something like that. Uh, what would you say? I would say, you know, all of my failed mods, which is my experience in trying to make, I guess the closest thing to an indie game because they were like, you know, a total conversion type thing or whatever is, you know, limit the scope, <laughs> you know? And like, that's what I did at first to start Jenga effects. I limited the scope. I didn't say like, I'm going to go build Embergen today. It was, well, let me build like one, one hundredth of what Embergen would be with this tool called Vector Agent. And just like, it's a little prototype, right? And then it's a little tool and then studios would pay for it and whatever. And like, it has a very specific use case. And so what's funny is that, you know, I guess a, a lot of people don't necessarily think of it this way, but a game, it is just a piece of software, right? That's all it is. You're distributing a piece of software. It just happens to be entertaining, right? And so it's not much different than, say, developing Embergen or, 
you know, Liquid Gen or all these other tools that we're we're wanting to work on, or say even Unreal Engine itself, right? More or less the same amount of work is applied to that type of tool as it is, you know, a game. It's just different job types and and things like that. And so, you know, I'm all for, you know, if people want to start an indie studio, I mean, fantastic. You know, I mean, we, I would say that in general, at this point, our indie revenue is like starting to become higher than, mm-hmm. than studios in some yeah. ways. Yeah. Right. And so, cause we, we break our pricing up to indies where if you're an indie, you know, for like, I think it's $400, you can get our whole suite and then you own it forever, right? There is no subscription component minus if you want maintenance, you can have that be auto build, right? But you can opt out. And so it's just, it's one of those things where, you know, I think that indies are becoming more and more powerful and the indies are going to be the ones that have the bigger hits. And as far as I know, I mean, I I could be wrong, but I think even like something like PUBG, uh, I believe that was initially an indie studio or at least an indie idea and maybe they got funding and things like that but but it started from like mods as far as i can recall right small team small idea it's from arma right from arma yeah from arma yeah and they branched off yeah exactly and it's like you know well what if we could like take this thing or like you know some of the greatest games in history say counter-strike it's just a conversion for half-life yeah right or say Team Fortress, I believe that was something similar or Dota and, and things like that. You know, Valve takes those games and, you know, brings them to to full fruition. And you know, like, that's what it looks like. So the difference between version one so and everything. Then like whatever money's behind it. But, yeah. you know, it, the idea is like the thing that's fun. You can probably have just as much fun in Counter-Strike 1.6 as you can in CS2. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah. I feel like there's a... If there's not a graph already, I feel like every every popular game nowadays have some kind of origin from a Valve <laughs> game. That's what's I'm frustrating sure. about Valve, man. It's like, I mean, they don't obviously they don't never have to really make a game ever again, but they at least on the West they are such. I mean, them and Rockstar basically are, are such a powerful uh, beast when it comes to like just creating a lot of these uh legacies right i mean team fortress 2 spawn overwatch spawn basically all these shooters with like different character types even valorant right was a kind of mixture of team fortress and counter-strike uh call of duty right had a lot of his dna's from counter-strike uh pubg yes from arma but i'm sure arma got a lot of it from counter-strike right so like like a lot of these popular games or at least uh genres have always been kind of borrowed from an indie beginning i think there's no uh market more obvious than than the mobile market that does this right because they copy without <laughs> without any care like they straight up just copy paste game designs as soon as one get successful and they market. I, I, I don't understand how that, that still can happen, but it happens like every week. Right. And so a lot of the inspiration uh, still comes from these smaller companies doing something. The funny thing about Power World is Pokemon. Uh, who's the, I forget the company that actually makes the Pokemon games. It's looking at that. It's like, what are we doing? <laughs> like I saw, I saw someone mod it like straight up, making it 
Pokemon, right? With Ash and all the Pokemon. And of course it got taken down. I was like, yeah, this, yeah. this game would be uh, incredible. This guy did it in a weekend. What is Nintendo doing? Why are they doing this by now? Uh, but you know, it's just something about being lean and mean, uh, not having to worry about like all these extra resources, baggage, right? It's about the product and being creative and having fun with it. That spirit will always have to drive the industry. Uh, like you said, like Fortnite and everything came from PUBG. The biggest games nowadays are or have DNA from these smaller games. The only thing that I don't like is um I think the tide is changing, right? There, there is a lot of uh, uh, attention and credit finally given, right, to to these smaller companies. I mean, like this past month, it's hard to ignore that the three biggest games. I keep forgetting the third one. It's Power World, Lethal Company, and uh, there was another one. Which one is it? Yeah, I can't uh, think of. It. I know that there's been a a few that are um it's quite popular me. yeah i gotta look this up <laughs> real quick I'll, I'll blurt it out as soon as i find it but like um there's there's so much with the same way that you guys uh are are like a a, a small scrappy team doing something that is obviously have been a problem especially with effects like a lot of the tools are kind of like that too like uh you know we're I'm I'm good friends with the Quicksuit guys before they got acquired, right? With Mega Scans, that was again started by a small company. Funny enough, like the big companies that's been forever uh, around, like Maya and Max, like Blender is the one that's really making a lot of noise, right? Uh, yeah, and it, you see this across all the game industry tools and the product, and uh, and. I feel like the consumers are not appreciating that as much as they should. Like there's just this idea that, Oh, you know, uh, Autodesk can afford it. It should be free. Right. It's like, ah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's not bad, not just so bad for like regular consumers. Right. But game developers, like paying professionals, like how many times I've come across with paying like professionals, like often, like when ZBrush suddenly had like a subscription, right? After like 10 years of free updates, right? I was like, oh, yeah. they're finally, I was like, oh, this is a Travis. I'll never use ZBrush again. I was like, what the hell? <laughs> Dude. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that, you know, one of the, the interesting things is, is, um, you know, how do I put it? It's like the allure is strong for, you know, say subscription only, or, you know, making a free to play game that, you know, what they, what you do is like you sell cosmetics and things like that. Cause you know, ultimately those types of things, they are, you know, what drive, you know, honestly, just more revenue towards the company. And so like, that's kind of why we have like a hybrid model where you can pay monthly, but it works towards say a permanent license, or, you know, you can keep paying monthly after that. And then like that keeps extending your maintenance. And so it's like, at the same time, like we want to give like a certain level of licensing, like to where it's cost efficient for, you know, our customers. And at the same time, like it's going to continuously give us predictable revenue. And that's the thing that like subscriptions actually give you, you know, as a business owner is 
just predictable revenue. If we know that, say, December, January, and February are going to be our worst months of the entire year, right? Then we know, like, hey, we have to make up for that throughout the rest of the year. And like, we can't really do hiring in December, January, and February because we're not going to have enough money. Right. And it's like being able to predict that type of thing is, you know, quite excellent for us. Um, and like, that's kind of where, you know, because people, most of them, they tend to want to auto renew into maintenance or whatever. But I think that giving the users the choice of whether or not they want to do that really makes our licensing model quite nice. Uh, you know, the best of both worlds, uh, so to speak, where it's like you, like once you stop paying and you have a permanent license, like you're going to keep that version forever, you know? And then we also do like kind of like a hybrid of the old ZBrush model where, you know, say if you have the suite, you're going to get at least a version 1.0 of every tool we ever add to the suite, whether or not you have maintenance, because we don't think it's fair that you're say stuck with like a beta version of the tool for like the whole suite. And you took the risk of paying for the suite when there's really only one tool in it or at least used to be only one tool. Now there's two, but hopefully three and then four and five and whatever, you know, in the future. And so, you know, I think that it's just, it's quite interesting the the way that the industry is going. And, you know, I really, one thought that I had about the scrappiness of games and, and all the stuff and why things, you know, tend to take off is, you know, it's, it's really interesting to see like the quality difference between something, you know, of like a a company where the, the people care versus, you know, like, Hey, I don't have much input. Right. And I think kind of the difference is like, if I think of say valve, right. They work on a, a rather flat structure and this is just assumption. I don't actually know anything. Right. It's like, so, you know, presumably they work on a flat structure and things like that. And, you know, the people on each game team, as far as I know, they have rolling desks and they can move to whatever game team they want whenever they want. And that typically implies like, hey, I am going to work on this project because I feel like I have something significant to contribute to this project. And if I don't have anything significant to contribute, I'm going to go start something on my own and Valve will pay me to do that. Right. And so we try and do something similar in Jenga effects where GeoGen, it was not my idea uh, because terrain software is pretty, um, it's a fairly saturated market. And so, but someone on my team, uh, he came up to me and he said, Hey, I built this prototype during our cool downs. Would you want to put money behind this project so that we can actually make it a product? And I'm like, well, this is kind of our end to environment art, I guess. And and it's turned out to be a really quite an innovative tool. It's similar to Substance Designer, and it's for terrains. And, and it's just an interesting take on terrain. But we're eventually going to support things like cliffs and overhangs, which no other terrain tool does. And so there are still areas that we can innovate on those things. But the thing is, is Geogen is so good because there's a lot of heart behind it. Now, granted, things like Gaia and World Creator, there's definitely heart behind those. I mean, those are mm-hmm. truly incredible products. And, you know, in general, we were worried about whether or not we would even be able to compete because there is so much heart in those products, right? And I think the thing that you often lose at like a big company, and that's not to say that, say, like Diablo 4 wasn't awesome. 
Diablo four was fantastic. I, I mean, I have probably over a hundred hours in it, you know, and I really enjoyed it. And like, that's from blizzard, you know, one of the biggest studios ever, you know, however, there's a certain amount of like just more finesse and care that goes into it. When you have a team of say five to 10 people, because everybody is putting that they have more say in the game where if you're typically just an artist, you know, working at a studio, like on your art Island or whatever, you know, you yeah. call it, it's like, well, I just have this job and I got the concept art from the concept artist. And it's yeah. like, I have to follow that concept. It's not necessarily the concept that I was thinking of for this character. Yeah. Right. Whereas whenever you're just, you know, in a, a four or five person team, there probably isn't concept art. You're just like, Hey, like here's some scribbles. What do you think of this character? Cause I'm going to go make it. Right. And that's the difference. Or you're like, Hey, like I'm a character artist and I'm doing this thing, but I'm also going to make some bricks for you and some of this and some concrete and grass textures and hell, maybe even a tree because I can do all that stuff. Right. And so there's like all, all of these like cross fading, um, uh, what would you call it? Like cross fading roles where people, they can do more than just one particular thing. And you see that a lot on indie where, you know, heck even some of the more, more successful games, there's probably one or two people and they did all the programming and the art and the pixel stuff and like whatever the sound design. And it creates this one cohesive, like really awesome game because the style of everything came from one person right now. That's also very, very hard and probably not something I would recommend. Right. Because I, I fully believe in the whole, you know, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Mm -hmm. Right. And so you typically do want, you know, other team members, I think. But that's just my opinion. There's plenty of people who have, you know, been a solo indie dev and, you know, have absolutely crushed it with their game and, you know, got a lot of fans and things like that. But like I think of a game, probably one of my personal favorites in the past few years of the two would be Factorio and Noita. And Noita is like this game with a custom engine and every pixel is simulated. I mean, that's right up my alley. Cause I like simulations and stuff. And mm -hmm. I mean, I, I probably have 400 hours in Noita or something. And it's just like this little roguelike thing. It's not even a type of game that I would normally play, but it, it's so intricate and so good. And there's so many hidden things. And like, like you feel like what you see is like, like that's the game. But then you find out if you throw this barrel at this wall, at this specific location, on like random seeds of the level, you'll actually open up a portal to like an entirely new world that you would never be able to access unless you know that trick. But then that new world is literally like 50% of the game, but most players never reach it. Cause they, you know, they just never thought to do that thing. And so like, that's the kind of cool thing where, you know, you watch a streamer and you're like, Holy crap, how do you get there? And like, I feel like that's a, the type of game that has a lot of heart into it. And I'm certain that, you know, the vast majority of, you know, indie developers, and and even you know bigger companies like they have a lot of heart you know in the product that they're building or the game that they're trying to make it's just more so i'm a bit um what would you call it i don't know uh i have distaste distaste towards like exact clones of yeah. of games where it's like hey like i'm gonna rip this game off as quickly as possible make it 99 cents on steam yeah. and just flood steam with like 100 knockoffs that's not a game developer yeah. Right. That's just a thief. Right. Yeah. With no creativity. Right. You know, but I feel like what we're starting to see is like that stuff is like getting pushed back and it's no longer a successful method. Then we have really successful games like Power World and and mm -hmm. things like that coming up and like rising to the top. 
because it's a genuinely fun game. Yeah. Right. It had a lot of heart into it. And so I'm kind of like rambling on about, you know, whatever it is that I'm rambling on about, but I, I think that it, there are you know important distinctions and, you know, yeah. So I'll let you take it back. No, no, no. It, it's, I, I completely agree. I, I think there's a lot of, um, misconception of like the bigger studios are really good at polishing an idea and a lot of it is you know the direction and vision somewhat has to be singular right from the director level and they have to orchestrate the rest of the team to execute right otherwise you know trying to manage 500 people with opinions can be chaotic right so you kind of have to you're a victim to kind of what you build you have 500 plus team this is what we're making and it's all about, you know, very small innovations, uh, but making it very polished, very clean and, and, and very uh, magnificent end product, right? And then you have the scrappy teams, the smaller teams that you can afford everyone kind of putting their own take, their own inter- interpretation of the big, uh, the big, um, vision board that 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 the team sought after everyone has their own taste so you have like this various amount of opinions a lot of people are discussing you know the the recent success with a lot of these games that are happening uh in a good way more frequently right like a lot of people are shitting on i feel like it was like a kill campaign it was too orchestrated like a lot of hate right was kind of thrown at pal worlds which i didn't understand it's like shouldn't we kind of celebrate like people who didn't play confused it with AI generation, which they didn't really find really anything that was wrong with it or like copied assets and then reusing assets. Right. It's like, you guys know how game development works. So you're saying someone hacked into Pokemon and exported these, you know, you can't just reuse assets just because he said you did. Right. What are you talking about? So like, but dismissing the whole thing, right. There were good systems and mechanics and you know there might be obviously inspiration from the pokemon world to kind of tell this story but you know they're building crafting there's there are things that doesn't exist in a pokemon game that is happening right in in pal worlds that uh people were just were dismissing too hard right yeah and i felt like that hate was just uh Unfortunately, I saw a lot of game developers hating on it. It's like, dude, don't don't hate <laughs> just because you didn't. You're not doing it, <laughs> right? We should, you know, we should celebrate some of this stuff. So, uh, a lot, a lot. It, it's always going to be that way. What I hope is like the investors are people are their funding are going to be less, uh, more inclined about seeing the potential of these smaller teams that don't have a resume right that they have like this great idea right obviously they're going to be pretty critical for for setting up gates to make sure they can even follow through right without a resume i'm sure you know to check the credentials but there there does seem like this We we in the early two thousand there's like this huge with Steam Greenlight there was like this huge excitement with the indie movie especially there's a huge excitement behind indie development and then when Xbox just like stopped 
doing Xbox Arcade, it kind of died a bit, right? And then like uh, indie publishing became a thing, indie funding became a thing. Uh, but now I feel like it's it's kind of quote unquote uh, uh, unfortunately maturing, right? Now they're looking at like sure things, right? I was like, all right, uh, this guy X Blizzard, X Riot, you know, or, or you know, X Bungie or whatever is forming a company. Let's put all our money. All oh, there's no money for these group of teenagers <laughs> or group of young twenty year olds with a pretty functioning prototype because they just yeah. simply don't believe it, right? So, like, I feel like all the money is is kind of saved for the more traditional elite people that were doing fine before, to be honest, right? They had stable jobs and everything, which isn't bad, right? I'm not saying that, you know, I'm in that group, right? I would love to go out and get funding. However, I feel like it is pretty one-sided um, because even with my group, there's more elite, you know, established developers who's our season older, right? Well, yeah. at the same time, it's like, all right, he's pretty old, man. <laughs> like, what? Like, how are you going to reimagine genres, really, right? You're just going to rehash what you've been doing at the bigger studios, which is what I'm seeing a lot, too. It's like, all right, you're trying to recreate League of Legends, trying to recreate Overwatch. Is that really what people want right now? Like, if you look at the trend, it's literally not that. It's like people are more about social activity or playing games that have happy accidents that create like very uh, special moments with your friends. Right. That wasn't maybe at first uh, like their intent, but it just happens to be part of what creates the conversation. Right. A lot of that uh, you saw with, the goat simulator, like early mods, you know, you see yeah. Gary's mod, like these type of things. I feel like those type of things are creeping back and having a lot of success because in a way it's kind of cool. It's like, oh, okay. The heart of being a gamer hasn't changed or a game developer hasn't changed. Um, we just went so far into like making everything look good trying to recreate Diablo, right? With 10 people, right? It's like, that's not what people <laughs> are asking for right now. Like that, that the, the other game I was thinking of isn't shrouded, right? It's starting to pop up. It's another, like it's number two, right on steam. It's like, you got power worlds, you got enshrouded. Lethal company was number one for a long time. Now it's like number eight, but you're seeing the top 10 basically being these games and valve games, basically. <laughs> yeah. And it's like this. There's something going on here. Like, um, this, yeah, exactly. This, this huge group of people are, are kind of like migrating to these different games, and they have no problem spending twenty, thirty bucks. Like they're playing these games all at the same time, which was a lot of people's reasoning of like, oh, people can only buy one game per every three months. It's like I'm not seeing that, man. I'm seeing everyone buying everything as soon as they find their friends playing it and. Because 30 bucks for three months worth of fun is a lot cheaper than going to Disneyland, right? So I was like, I don't think that's a problem anymore, which which is what yeah. I'm seeing. Everyone's playing everything now. Exactly. And, you know, I think that also, you know, just with kind of, you know, how how these indie developments and, and stuff like that are going, you know, Gary's mod is... Uh, one of my like foundational memories, right? And then like it's kind of evolved into say Rust, which is you know by Face Punch, which is who mm -hmm. made Gary's mod. 
And like Rust is just such a good game, right? It has like a kind of a cult following, I think. And, you know, you, you either play Rust or like you're not the you're not the type of person to play rust. I'm yeah. almost not the type of person to play rust because it's so, it's a very brutal game. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, and it also just takes a lot of time and I don't have a lot of time, but if I had all the time in the world, I'd probably spend it playing rust or something. And so, but it's just such a good game that has unique mechanics. And, you know, I presume that one day, you know, Gary, you know, or whoever was like the leader of, of rust was like, you know what? Like, I just want to start with a rock and work my way up to uh, AK 47. Mm-hmm. And like, I want to build a base and I want it to be persistent for like a month on a server and like have people try and raid my castle. Right. And then like, if I may have enough resources, I want to go join up with my friends and go raid that other team across the map. Right. But not, there's not just one team. There's like 200 teams, right. All in this big persistent world for one month. And then like every other month it all gets wiped. And then we start over. And we fight again. Right. And it's like, that's such a cool, like long-term game. There's not many games where like the world literally persists for like a whole month, right. On a server. And like, it just continually runs. And so, and like, to me, like that's the type of thing that's it's quite innovative. It's rather, rather interesting. And so that's just something that like I, I have personally uh, liked. And, and then through, through thinking about this, about just indie devs and stuff in general, you know, Initially, that's where my heart, you know, typically always was, was for the smaller teams. And, you know, at the same time, like our offering to big companies and and why they pay us, you know, so much money is because we say, look, if you buy our tools, we're going to cut the development time from, say, a few weeks per texture for these effects assets to like probably a day or two days or something like that. And so your effects artist is going to save a lot of time. They're going to get in and out of our software whenever they need it. And they can go to Unreal or whatever and like finesse the effects there and have more time to iterate and like really work on their craft instead of like having to make the textures. Because that's, in my opinion, generally one of the hardest parts of the process. Because if you don't have a good texture for your effects, it's just not going to look that good no matter what you do to it in engine. And so, you know, I think that, you know, cause you gotta have the right shapes and it's kind of like dissolve properly. And like yeah. the, you know, the, it has to work well, with like a gradient map, whatever it happens to be. And so things like Embergen take all that into account and then it spits out a flipbook right there in the tool where with other tools, you know, you probably have to take your sequence of images and put it into a different tool. And then like you build a flipbook out of that. And then from there you move it to Photoshop to do this thing or whatever. And it's just this painful process. And so we came in and we fixed that. And so I think, so like for the companies, that's what we're giving them. We're giving them a, a cost savings. They're getting more value for their money out of, you know, the artist that's using the tool. For the artists themselves, the big thing we want to highlight is fun. Because back when I was modding using, say, like Hammer and, you know, Source SDK and the particle editor for Half-Life and all this other stuff... Um, or rather Half-Life 2, Episode 2, like the the tools to me were so fun. I had a lot of fun making games. It wasn't necessarily about money or recognition or whatever, at least at that time. It was more like, I like making games or mods or whatever, and these tools are fun, and I'm going to do it every single day because it is fun. And I think... One of, that's one of the sad things about today's state of the industry is now it's all about 
why are our employees mental health, you know, so, so bad? Oh, well, it's because we're crushing them under the weight of our corporate behemoth and we want them to crunch. And then after 27 weeks of crunch, we give them a pizza party Mm -hmm. because thank you for your service. Yeah. Right. Or laid off. (laughs) And then, yeah, exactly. Or laid off. And then like as CEO, I'm going to go take, not me, but them, I'm going to go take a $100 million bonus and you're not getting any of that. Most likely. Um, I don't know policies of other companies, but it's like, Hey, like I'm going to go take this hundred million dollar bonus. Cause I made you crunch. And like, now I'm reaping the reward because I made the board happy. Right. To me, that's like the antithesis of like what game design should be. It's like, we work in the coolest industry in my opinion, like on earth, like it's the coolest and supposed to be the funnest thing you could do. Now it's not without challenges. Game design is exceptionally hard. I, I would almost argue at this point, I'm like making a successful game is harder than making a tool like Embergen, mm-hmm. Right. But then again, I would not encourage anyone, like even if it's in a completely different thing, like say you wanted to make a character art tool. I mean, good luck. Like mm-hmm. it, I am certain you will cry often because I cry a lot <laughs> about <laughs> making these tools. It's extremely hard. Yeah. Right. And like, it just takes a lot of effort and it's very specialized and all this other stuff. And so like, there's so much just effort that has to go into it where it's very difficult, but similarly, a game is the same. Like I said, it's just, it's a piece of software, but it's made for entertainment. And so we also, we try and add that thought to our software. We're like, it's not a game, but like Embergen has a Konami code. Where if yeah. you type, you know, the up, down, up, down, left, right, whatever, A, B, A, B thing, yeah. like Embergen changes. And so if anybody's code. listening, yeah, yeah, there's a cheat, there's cheat codes in Embergen, right? Like it yeah. is so game centric. And, you know, I just, I think that our main focus really, because I had this epiphany a few months ago where I was like, you know what? Like I never really realized it, but the core reason why. I'm building these tools where me and my team are building these tools is because I just, there was a point in game design where I was no longer having fun. Yeah. Right. And like my whole point is like politics aside, right. What are the things that I can change for the industry? And for me, that's the tools because nothing sucks more than working so hard on an asset, a character, a map, you know, uh, in effect, a simulation, whatever it happens to be. And then it's like 99% there and then it crashes and corrupts all your files. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And then like Perforce for whatever reason, didn't store <laughs> like the version mm-hmm. or, you know, it's just some version control mishap or you forgot or like whatever. Right. Cause in version control, you still have to actually submit it as yeah. far as I know. Yeah. Right. And so it's like one of those things where it's just like, fuck. Yeah. Right. Sorry. I don't know if I can say that on here. Fuck but you're just yeah. like, <laughs> yeah, you'll be like, fuck. Like I just lost, you know, a week of work. Yeah. And like, I completely messed up everything that I've done. And like, now I am pissed because now I have to stay late. Yeah. Right. And I'm not going to be rewarded for that because it's not my fault. The software crash It's my fault. Probably that I didn't submit it to Perforce. Yeah. But like, it's not my fault that the software crashed and like now corrupted my file and I have to redo it again. And so it's like that level of anger that I eat, like, even like my ears are getting red. You can't see, but like, they're getting red. So when I think about that situation i'm just like man how can we prevent that and so like on our side anytime somebody says hey i crashed on this thing mm-hmm. like it's hot fixed as soon as we can hot fix it because 
that's the worst possible thing. Like there's nothing more interrupting in a software than when it crashes. Right. And you're just like, oh, fuck. 3DS Max crashed for the 18th time. Yeah. Right. Why does it crash so much? The the point is that Maya for me (laughs) yeah, or Maya. Yeah. It's literally designed to make 3D geometry. Yeah. How hard can that be to not make it crash? Yeah. Right. Oh, well, it's because we put, you know, 30 years of shit into it that like, you know, hidden behind these 75 shelves that like you never even use. Yeah. Right. And then I say, okay, well, game designer, why are you using a tool that has 75 shelves that you never use? Why not just use the tool that's the sharpest knife in the kitchen instead of the whole kitchen? Right. And then I'm like, oh, well, the sharpest knife doesn't exist. I'm like, okay, you're right. Let me go build it. <laughs> like, that's yeah. that's my thing. Right. And so like, that's kind of where my passion and anger and whatever comes out. And, you know, Autodesk, Adobe, whatever, don't come after me, please. <laughs> I'm just saying, we hate it when your tools crash. <laughs> yeah. Right? Everyone, and, but, I think they know yeah, that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it's like, because of that, yeah. right. People like me, small, scrappy companies have to come in and fix the things that are not being fixed. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I'm happy with that. Like I, I now have, you know, a rather successful life, I, I would say, or rather accomplished is a better word. Right. Because we reinvest most of the money back into the company and not right. necessarily my pockets. And so, but you know, one day I'm sure that'll change. Right. I eventually do want to cash out on my successes. Um, but for now, like, I'm laser focused in on like solving these problems. And so like our two things that we're really starting to hone into, you know, of our, of course, visual effects, that's where like my pride and joy and love and everything is, but we're now starting to kind of hire environment artists and stuff like that, or even level designers and say like, Hey, like what, what are the future of tools look like for you? Because what can we do to get you out of these programs you know, that aren't the sharpest knife. There's just a whole kitchen and they allow you to do stuff, but it's not particularly quick. You have all these weird, quirky workarounds and like custom plugins and like all this crap to make it work. So how can we just build a tool that's exact for your needs? And not only that, but specific to games, right? Because I don't know about you, but I'm tired of bending film tools to fit games. Yeah. Right. It's what we do all the time. Right. And where, say, I think Substance Designer was also a big um, uh, inspiration for me. Mm-hmm. Right. Because it felt like one of the first tools that was actually made for a game designer. Yeah. Right. And then film is like, oh, da, 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 da. like let yeah, me get yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. And I'm like, yeah, but we had it first. Right. It was for games. Right. And so, like, I feel like, you know, there's going to be a new wave of companies and stuff like that, that focus specifically on game tools. And, and I am all for it. Right. You know, like they're they're eventually hopefully going to have to compete against us in that space. But like, I I like that, you know, ultimately because my end goal isn't necessarily to like build the most successful tool company there ever was. It's just initiate the change toward the tools that we need to have. I would like to be the top dog for that. I'd like to be like the number one company to, to be able to do that kind of stuff, you know, but ultimately we're here to support artists and we want artists to use whatever the best tools are. Right. And for now we're the ones who are going to provide those in the future, you know, it could be anybody else. Right. And so I think that the thing that's like missing like a day from games is fun. 
right? You know, and so it's like recently with all these layoffs, which is actually how we got into contact as far as I know, is I posted a thing on LinkedIn and Twitter, like, when is the last time you had fun and games? And, you know, there's all these layoffs and stuff. And so why don't you have our, our tools for free so you can rebuild your portfolio? Because my I'm I have the conviction that our tools are going to let that artist who's laid off, like have a little bit of fun in a really tumultuous time. And like while they're having fun, they can build this portfolio and then submit it to another company and get hired is the hope. Mm-hmm. Right. First and foremost, it's not how can we get your money? It's let me just give you the suite for free. Yeah. Right. And you go off and you learn it and whatever. And like eventually we'll get our our payback or whatever when you work at the studio and say, Hey, I actually built my portfolio with these tools. Yeah. You know, could we get some seats for the studio? Like yeah. that's going to help us, right? And then we can continue our mission. But ultimately it's well, how can I bring a little bit more joy to these people who are laid off, right? Because they didn't deserve that, right? It definitely wasn't like performance related, right? Or whatever. It's just, hey, the CEOs of these companies made a big mistake, but it's not like a 10% mistake. It's like 2000 people mistake. Yeah. In which as a CEO, I don't run a big company, but I don't necessarily understand how you can make a mistake that big, right? And then come around and get a super fat paycheck. Yeah. Right. And be like, ah, great. Like I just did like these major layoffs and like, now I have like $50 million to put in my pocket. Yeah. Right. Where's, where's the integrity in that? Right. Because I take pay cuts before my team does. Mm -hmm. Right. Why don't they? Yeah. No, it's true. I mean, it's, (laughs) I mean, I I talked about this many times, like last year, I I knew a guy who got laid off three times that year, three times. Uh, It was just that type of year. He would just go into a thing, lay him off, find something finally, you know, it just so happens that studios closed it down. And then the third one was because of the December holiday stuff. Right. And this, I felt like it stopped for a while like it felt like a good three five years where that wasn't happening as much but then we are paying it back <laughs> by tensfold i was like ah maybe, maybe maybe i'll take the deal of like just you know uh uh just over the months some layoffs <laughs> it feels better because right now the market is so oh my god it is so scary to kind of go into this market right now, looking and competing for the jobs, the very few jobs yeah. that are actually, uh, I can't even imagine. Like um, I know some people that have, are still looking since uh, the March layoffs from last year. That was another big one. There was a lot of big layoffs in March of last year and they get pushed back into at the end of the line. Every time there's a major layoff, right? Uh, it's, it's, it's one of the reasons why, you know, I've been through bigger studios as well. You know, I worked at small, I worked at big, eventually made a decision to do my own thing, right? Which thankfully, you know, I did. Uh, there are pros and cons like anything working at bigger companies. But a lot of what I found was, you know, you get lost. Uh, it becomes just a job. You know, uh, your opinions don't matter, right? To a certain degree, uh, and and by design, it, it can't right. If you have, like I said, uh, have to like monitor five hundred people functioning, 
not everybody's going to be able to be have their have their opinions listened to. This is impossible. Yeah. You can't. You won't get anything done, right? Um, but by design, being in that big company, you got to have to accept those things to find an ounce of happiness. So you're mainly there for stability. Maybe ride like that that high of like oh i sh- i was a part of that sh- game that everyone heard about right or talked about right but that you know after the second or third one of those or it's like oh it dies down after a month <laughs> like that thrill really just dies after a month you might be the, the top selling game of that year and it just dies right because there's, there's another top game that takes its place yeah. so uh you know, Blizzard with its recent, I mean, they've got rid of a whole team, like the survival game. I guess they've been working for four plus years. I've always been like a proponent of like, as a game developer, it's, it's egocentric, right? You want to make something to show. You want to show it, right? That's the goal. You want people to enjoy it. And, uh, games that take four or five years unannounced right i mean that game was easily going to be a 10-year game right as blizzard does and it you know i just felt that's never a good thing i mean what happened in the last four years <laughs> microsoft bought activision you know the overwatch didn't do as well right diablo 3 4 finally made a hit in like yeah. an eight-year absence for blizzard blizzard was like on a downhill uh uh descent right uh, a lot of the you know uh it went through like a huge harassment you know issue a lot of like uh old guards right rightfully removed but with them took the creativity i mean they contribute a lot to those you know the success of the game so you know that's give and take of like what happens when you just try to uh get rid of basically legacy developers and then give give new developers a chance but can they manage like this crazy workhorse of of a company which is used to having hits and suddenly they're not having hits anymore right that adds pressure right to a new job already so you know just for for people who you it's unfortunate i feel that people I mean, they shouldn't have laid it off like that. I, I think a lot of it's like, well, everyone's laying off. This is the great chance to kind of clean house, right? Because we'll just be part of the news. No one's going to yell at us. So I think a lot of that is that for sure. But people working, they just, you know, should have prepared a bit. Whereas like, man, we're not doing good right now. It's like enjoy, like complacency, I think, is the biggest thing that most developers can have control over, Right. And I, 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 I get in that point, I get comfortable sometimes and I forget, you know, what kind of industry we're in. And it's like, oh yeah, I'll probably lose my job <laughs> at any second now. It's like, that's when I really get surprised and shocked and sad about the industry is when I get too complacent. Um, yeah. and, and it's the only thing we can control. It's like always on the lookout, always update your portfolio, always get better. Right. Uh, and a lot of people at these bigger companies, they don't. Right. Um, even if that like people at Blizzard, unfortunately are really good artists but i would say you know with probably with your experience a lot of these developers with working on proprietary tools are really outdated right they are very behind the curve in terms of you know we're talking about tools and uh they have a lot of education 
that they had to go through, which, you know, makes it even tougher, right? They have the prestige, right? They have the, the experience, obviously, but when it comes competitive, can I make my game faster? They are usually very behind. Like a lot of those guys, as an example on Overwatch, they're still using Photoshop and layers for texturing, right? Yeah. <laughs> and scripts, right? They don't use substance. They don't use, like they missed out on that whole revolution um which is a lot uh but uh i I think that's that's why it's kind of important you know in your own time if you have the time and i think this is also one of the negative side effects of of say like crunch yeah right is where you know used to if you're working on a game you know you come on it at night work on your own thing or whatever or after you tend to your family and that kind of stuff okay like you know on the weekend i'm just gonna you know Let's try to learn this new tool or, you know, update my portfolio or whatever. But because of like how crunch ridden the industry is at this point, like I've heard that it's gotten better. I, I've been out of the industry for a few years at this point. And so at least like on the worker side. And so I, I just, I don't keep up with it as much also because it's just depressing. <laughs> right? yeah. yep. And so I'm like, well, like only thing I can do to kind of remove you know, that pressure of crunch is just by making better tools yeah. to where hopefully you can get your work done just a little bit faster and then you don't have to stay as late. Everybody else might have to if they're not using the tools. But I mean, eh, what am I going to do about that? Right. It's up to the, you know, your team to fight back against the the management. And I think that's one of the things is that, you know, people, you know, your voices, I guess, can be heard, you know, more or less or like, you know, you could just potentially walk out of the studio and just not work the crunch i mean yeah. you might get fired but i mean then well you're definitely you're, gonna be first on that yeah, list of layoffs yeah <laughs> first on the list but i mean at least you'll have you know yeah at least yeah. yeah at least you'll have your sanity or your mental health or your you know your own power or whatever it happens to be yeah. and you know i mean i've had moments like that in my past where i'm just like you know like i'm not staying past five and i'm gonna go home because i was like at the time like i have a wife to go to and all this other stuff yeah. and yep. like I'm not staying here. I have other stuff to do. I'm building a company. Yeah. Goodbye. I'll come back tomorrow at seven. Like, yeah. 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 Leave me alone. You yep. know? And so there's just, there's stuff like that. But then again, it's like, I often feel like it's well, because, you know, say I was the only effects artist. Like I had a lot of leverage. Right. Because I'm like, at the time it's like really good luck finding another one. Yeah. Right. There aren't many. And so, you know, but then again, like, I don't know. I just, I have a stick up my butt sometimes and I just, I, I don't like people over me. So I guess I'm just that kind of person where like, I just, I have to work for myself. Right. Because, you know, I, I know that you brought up like ego, like I have such a fat ego sometimes that I have to fight against, you yeah. know? And, um, you need a healthy you know, dosage of it for sure. Yeah. You, you know, and like, I guess like to, to even do something like this, you know, I, I have a friend uh, who's in the game industry as well and, and, and whatnot. And he used to, to work for us. And, you know, sometimes he comes over to my house and, and we were talking and he said, Nick, he said, I feel like to be like a CEO or an entrepreneur, you kind of have to be a sociopath. Oh yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, well, I said, I kind of feel like maybe I am a sociopath. I said, but maybe I just have like a moral compass, like sociopathically guide me to like what I think is right. 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 And so like, I I definitely, I mess up all the time. Like I do not do things 
correctly and I say things that I shouldn't say and like all this other stuff. But like I just chalk it up to like, hey, like that's that's sociopathic Nick, right? Like yeah. just doing his thing. And you know, like, you know, you try and keep it under control and all that other stuff. And like I would say I'm like just moderately sociopathic. Yeah. Because like the amount of hatred that I have for like tools out there is just yeah. ridiculous. Like no normal person would be as bad as I get. And like clearly something is like, you know rattling around up there and so i'm like you know what man i said i think you're right i said but i think as long as you have like a a particular moral gumption you know you ever seen the show dexter right yeah. he's yeah. he's kind of like that now i'm not even anything close to that so please don't say that <laughs> <laughs> but but like i was thinking about that i'm like it's kind of like dexter yeah right he has to do a certain thing but if he does it for good then whatever like I'm yeah, yeah. Not dexter it but <laughs> it's uh it's funny to me. And yeah. so I thought that was kind of true. You know, I think that the thing is, is that, um, you know, there's also a, a talk that I like. It's called uh, Just Do It by Art Williams. I think it applies to games or indie development or whatever. I think that just in general, anybody who wants to do something a bit bigger than themselves or they're a manager or like they want to get to a management position or an art lead or whatever, just hell, you want to go start a business doing 3D printing or like, making lego sets or something whatever it is like i feel like people should watch the video and it's called just do it by art williams and like a lot of the philosophy that i use to run my company is comes from that video where he says you know in particular you know every like people say that you can't be friends with your employees and he says that's bullshit because he said by you know being friends with them you know, you get to gain their trust and know their families and all this other stuff. And you care about yeah. those people because everybody, you know, especially say artists at a studio or whatever it happens to be, your, your coworkers, even you, it's like everybody has a sign on them. It's a big flashing light that says, I want to be somebody. Mm -hmm. Tell me that I'm important. Yeah. Right. I mean, everything that I do, right, is because like, I want to be important to myself. But I also, I want to be successful, safe for like my family. Yeah. Right. That's my own childhood shit. But mm. it's like, like, I just, I want to be successful for that. Right. To, in, in part to, to say like, I want to be somebody. Yeah. Right. And this is how I can make my mark. Some people, they make their mark, you know, by making like the coolest character model in Dota ever. Mm -hmm. Right. Or whatever it happens to be. And it's just like, man, like that is so badass, Right. Or like, Hey, I made this big thing, like on this movie, like I did that. Or like I directed this thing or I led this company or I wrote this book or I made this, you know, D&D &D campaign, you know, that is, you know, used by, you know, however many other campaigner people out there. I don't know much about Dungeons and Dragons, but mm -hmm. it's just a thing. And so I was like, you know, uh, how can I do that for my company and my team? And also, how can we make our customers feel like that? That's the other part that I think was missing from this talk, where it's not only my employees, you know, or my team members or whatever, that like, I want to feel important because they are important, yeah. right? And they are literally the lifeblood of the company and they're what make the product good. But yeah. how can we have our customers feel that way too? Yeah. Right. And that's kind of what drove, you know, the say the layoff, the free software for people who are laid off yeah. is it's like, I have to do something. You are important to me. I do not know you yeah. most likely, but you are very important to me and I care about you and you are somebody. Yeah. Right. 
And so how can we aid in that? And I mean, I am not, you know, super rich or whatever it happens to be and like have a lot of resources, but I'm like, I, I can't set up. I mean, I probably could, but it's like, I don't have the time to run, say, a nonprofit that, you know, specifically, you know, enables better, you know, mental health for, you know, game designers. Right. I think that's a big thing that could be done in the industry. If anybody's listening, wants to take on a big challenge. Right. Go get a, a you know, therapy certification. It, it takes years, but go get that and then come back and help people in games. Yeah. Right. Tell them that they are somebody important. Right. And then help them through their struggles of just the the grinder that we go through. I mean, I've been through the grinder, yeah. you know, on a number of things or just even just different jobs or whatever. You know, I think that th- there's a lot of like love and care and compassion and stuff that's missing from our industry where I feel like we used to have it. And it was like literally the coolest fucking thing on earth to work yeah. in games. And then something happened. I don't know when or how or whatever, just I guess people are just like holy shit, games make more money than movies. Yeah, here comes BlackRock. Yeah, <laughs> right. To, to you know some or some like giant uh, you know uh, private equity firm to like take over the studio and like crush the shit out of the workers because Lord have mercy, does you know Bob you know need to recoup his you know one hundred million dollars uh, yeah. so that he can make ten billion dollars. Right. Or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, come on. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's been kind of infected, but then again, like, you know, private equity is good in some ways where, you know, some of those indie studios, they need the funding and those are the people who are willing to put cash behind it. Yeah. And so it's double-edged sword to everything. Like I can't say like, Oh, like, like, yes, crunch is bad. And, but what's the benefit of it in some cases, like the benefit is the game gets out faster or it's on time or, the company saves money and then they don't have to lay off as many people or whatever, like it's double edge. Right. And so, you know, I mean, there's hours or times where like, you know, I, I pull like a hundred hour week still, you know? And so, but it's like, you know, a couple weeks of the year. Right. And we really try and limit that as, as much as we can. And so I don't think that, you know, say like no crunch is completely realistic, but I think that people can fight for that kind of thing. And so to get it there, right. I mean, I'd love to be able to keep my ego more in check to just be like, Hey guys only work 20 hours a week. Yeah. Right. That'd be great. But also I don't have the money (laughs) like, you know, do that. And then like have our products take two times as long. And so it's just one of those things where like, I think people just need to sit around a table at a conference and like hammer shit out. Right. And just be like, Hey, like, what do we do? How how do we fix this? And then kind of carry on the conversation because like I, i'm not the messiah for that kind of thing so i'm not even going to jump into it <laughs> at least myself but you know that's kind of my just ramblings on it and that kind no, of thing. no no it, it definitely um resonates with me like um uh game developers it, it's all about acknowledgement and either from family friends or fans of the game right you we're making a product at the end of the day put our heart and soul into it so that it can be seen it can be played it can be acknowledged right um definitely you know there was a point i feel it too where greed got into the formula and there's this division politicalness right where it used to be just a group of friends like in the modding. i i talk about this too much probably right in college 
making those projects with friends, that was probably the purest, most fun that I'm trying to recreate with my company, right? It's just being around with friends, just making something and have fun with it that I lost during my journey of game development, being a professional from being a junior artist, mid-level senior lead of multiple studios. It's just, it just became something else and not about making the games anymore that I, I think a lot of people are, 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 can relate to, right? This, this, especially at the bigger companies. Like, I've never been at a big team where I felt so good <laughs> about everything. There's always like this missing piece where, yeah, the perks are fun, but like the game, yeah, the game is like no, no notable, but I, I only attribute this much. Um, and the rest was like, you know, made by a bigger team. Uh, I will say this, like you guys' philosophy, I, I feel it. I felt it when I saw Embergen, right? You guys were definitely making something that resin that was different, right? Uh even even with uh Geogen, which is something, you know, recent that you guys are developing and 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 putting it out there. I, I get excited about that being an environment guy. I've tried all a lot of the terrain generation tools and nothing stuck, right? And for various different reasons. I mean World Machine, you know, is like so old <laughs> and it is not sexy. It's like, it looks like Windows 95. I was like, are they even updating this anymore? Uh, and then, you know, there's other like Instaterra. Uh, and then um, even, I even went to Houdini. I was like, I hate Houdini, but I'm gonna, everyone seems to make terrains in this. So I'm trying to figure it out. And it's just so confusing. Got some good results, but it just felt like, like you said, I'm I'm carrying like two thousand pounds, and I just needed ten pounds, right, of of a software to to make this one particular thing. So you guys definitely have, I feel, successfully building a branding of making tools fun again, right? And uh, the the Gen line of software kind of really uh pronounces that for me as like a casual guy just looking at the updates and demos that i haven't used it to in depth yet but i'm like it's one of those things like i'm bookmarking it's like i can't wait to use this i'm definitely going to learn this so every time you guys are announcing a new gen or right, i was like all right they're 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 solving something that you know have prevented me uh to be just a casual effects artist right uh and so to that degree you guys are killing it uh and you know we connected because i saw your post on linkedin just offering the tools for those who who need it right to kind of create the portfolio and look for their next thing and that's super commendable and it's not uh not enough uh is is being done right now in, in response to this uh, if anything i <laughs> more negative press right is being said like i, I think that popular streamer guy is kind of dominating Asmon Gold or something, right? It's because of the success of Power Worlds, he's kind of shitting on like no one cares about developers. They only care about the end product. So to a certain degree, he is correct. However, his whole, you know, streamers and game developers is a delicate synergy of, of balance, right? We need each other. And as soon as the streamers say we don't need game dollars, then what the fuck are you streaming? <laughs> you know, what I'm saying it's like it's a partnership, right? It's like an unspoken partnership, and we got to have each other's back. And to hear something like that, 
it, it's it looks bad, right? And it's like, dude, you know, no matter what you're saying, you got to have, especially in this time, it's like, are you aware? Like a lot of these people are losing their jobs. It's like, what, what, what the fuck are you going to be playing if no one's making games? So you're just going to wait for make game button, right? It doesn't work like that. Like these tools enable faster progress, but you still need like that big bang moment with a designer to kind of kind of set things off in motion right so yeah. um yeah everything you're saying is definitely i think a lot of listeners are are gonna take in and and really uh appreciate uh in, in this time um we are over the hour mark i want to thank you for coming on i think i know what you're going to talk about but this is the time where i can uh, shut up hand over the mic and let you talk to the good people out there uh, uh where to look for you where to find all the software what to do you know uh go ahead and take it yeah so uh thanks for having me on and i really appreciate it and uh you know hopefully my my message resonates with people and i think my whole point of doing podcasts like this is you know, just to kind of share my point of view on things and you know hopefully somebody picks it up and can run with it and make the industry it's just a bit more of a better place i mean because i i think the game industry is fantastic and that's why i'm so like dedicated like literally dedicating my my lifeblood and everything to making great tools to continue making the game industry great um you know but overall yeah if if you want to find me uh, you know, just type Nick Sievert on Twitter. So N-I-C-K-S-E-A-V-E-R-T uh, on Twitter or Facebook or whatever. I'm there. And then if you want to find the company itself, it's Jenga FX, J-A-N-G-A-F-X. It's not Jenga, like the blocks that you stack is Jenga. And um, yeah, so JengaFX.com. And our tools are Embergen and Geogen. Embergen is our real-time uh, fire, smoke, explosion simulator. You bake out your flip books and you can make them stylized or pixelized or whatever you want inside of the tool and then load it right into whatever game engine you use. And then with Geogen, it's uh, real-time terrain creation. It's uh, kind of similar to something like Substance Designer. Um and so it's quite it's quite nice. And so if you know, like, say that tool, and you're an environment artist, Geogen will feel right at home. And we're we're it's doing alpha right this second, but we're wanting to update it so that uh, you know you can have biomes and place road systems and railroad tracks and all, like, right, all, all right. that other stuff, and you know <laughs> put a city around things and okay, um, it just be be really awesome for for environment artists. Um, and then it's it's really a tool built for games and like that's that's really where we're going to shine. And so we're we're excited to to show that off. And then my final announcement, I guess, is just uh, liquid gym. People have been waiting for it for years. So you need you know blood splats and water splashes and that kind of thing for your game. Uh, liquid gym will be the easiest way ever to generate that kind of stuff. Um, and it'll all be real time. It'll have all the like, you know, normal maps and erosion maps, wet maps, that kind of stuff for animated decals and whatever. Um, and so it'll be a true game built for effects artists and, and stuff in tools um, or for, for games. Uh, and so the closed alpha for that starts February 12th. And so we'll see if this podcast is out by then or whatever. But anyway, yeah, so that's whenever it would have started. All right. <laughs> perfect. 12th. That's it. All right, Nick uh big fan all right uh looking forward to everything that's being released gonna use every single one of them 
uh, for those people check them out uh, all the links in the description uh, all the links in the description as usual so if you're you know jotting things down just go ahead and click in the episode uh, that is it good luck everyone see you guys next week